Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm your host, Davey Blackburn, and I am joined here with my co-host, Emily Shields. Hey, guys. Emily, how are you? Doing really well. You have a shirt on right now that says, how can I help you? Uh-huh. I have not changed from Sunday service yet. <laughs> <laughs> because you guys just help people all yeah, the time. You're yeah. just helping people. Uh-huh. Find the person in the orange shirt and ask them a question. That's so, right. And they yeah. can help you. Yeah, it's hopefully. fantastic. <laughs> it's fantastic. How you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah? Yeah. Just got back from vacation. What? Where yeah. did you guys go? I um, went to California oh, with man, my mom so and brother. Left Kent behind. <laughs> he was <laughs> sad Kent. about it. to work. Yeah, poor he kid. did. He moped around the house all week. Oh, He's no. just like, mm. That's it was sad. like Eeyore, you know. Yeah, I would be too. I'd, well, and his FOMO. best friend Zach was traveling with you, so That's like, what true. else is he gonna do? That's true. So he was all by himself. <laughs> all by himself. I was traveling. You were traveling. Mm-hmm. His best friend Zach was traveling with me. Yeah, we're just all traveling, and and Ken's stuck with FOMO. Right. Yeah. Fear of missing out. Fear of missing out. For those of you guys who are under. The age of 40. Yeah, it's an important over the age of 40. thing to know. Under the age of 40, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Over the age of 40, you don't know. No, no you, you don't FOMO know FOMO on FOMO. FOMO on FOMO. <laughs> you're, you're missing racks out. So you're M-O FOMO, right? Yeah. Mo FOMO. Uh, um, maybe, <laughs> You're yeah. missing out on fear of missing out. You don't know yeah. what you're... Mo FOMO. Mo FOMO. Man, that is such a good new acronym. That's awesome. I like that one. Tell yeah. me about your California trip. Yeah. So um, we went down to like the Huntington Beach area. My brother was Ooh. born in California. So my dad was stationed in the military. My parents always promised my brother that they would take him back. And they never did. Poor guy. So, <laughs> so he's, he's like, how old? He's 27. 27. He's like, hey, I really feel like I'm getting cheated right, right. now on life. <laughs> yeah. So we went, um, hung out on the beach. Yeah. Um, the last day we did a Hollywood tour. Ooh. And so that was actually really cool. We um, got to see a lot of different people's houses. Like Justin Bieber rented what? this like glass house for Beeps? a lot of I'm money. I'm a serious for a while. believer. You are a believer. I am a serious believer. Yeah, and then the the thing that. I was probably most excited about was that we got to see, it was just the roof, but of Taylor Swift's house. <laughs> you saw the rooftop <laughs> saw of the Taylor rooftop. Swift's house. Yeah. What were you doing? First of all, well, how were you at an angle to see the rooftop? That sounds really sketchy, yeah, to be so honest with it you. It was kind of sketchy. Our, like binoculars, our, like, like, you know, stalking Taylor Swift. Yeah, our like truck driver drove up her driveway essentially until like the security guard was standing there and was like, can't come in here. Oh, man. Um, so yeah, it was good. We got to talk to her security guard, but that was really fun. That trip was really good. Got so, to spend time. So with you my can mom confirm to me something I've been wondering: Does Taylor Swift really stay out too late? Uh, maybe I don't I stay out too late. <laughs> <laughs> got nothing on my brain, guys. He's dancing right now. That's what people say. <laughs> ooh ooh. It's good. Was that good. good? Yeah, we need to send that to Taylor. Maybe you can be a backup. Maybe I can be a backup singer, singer for her. I could do the little head shake thing too. Uh huh. I could shake it off. We just need to get you a blonde wig. Man. You can be a Taylor Swift impersonator. I have serious FOMO that you went to California. It was nice. We were in Hollywood last year. Yeah. It was fun. Yep. Stayed at the Roosevelt Hotel on Hollywood Boulevard. And it's a very interesting place. Yeah. I wonder if there's any listeners from Hollywood. Listening from Hollywood right I now. I hope so. That'd be that awesome. would be cool. Let Wouldn't us know it? if you're Seriously, listening in Hollywood. Beebs, if you're listening, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> or Taylor. <laughs> or Taylor. And I'd really like to be a back. Up vocalist for you, so yeah. 
Oh man, it's great. It's great to have you joining us today um, from all over, all over. We're getting a lot of feedback from this. And so yeah. it's been fun to do this for a couple months. And again, we're just trying to help you live, learn, and lead through your pain and uh, help you thrive, not just survive in those seasons, but help you thrive. And this month we have um, a really special guest. I'm mm -hmm. excited about this interview. Um, it's Samantha Smith who's a good friend of ours, um, and you may or may not have heard her story, but her husband, Andrew, was an all-star basketball player for Butler University yeah. when they made those two national championship runs and lost in both of the mm -hmm. national championship, both, lost both years. And so obviously, Butler, hometown here in Indianapolis, um, that was a huge deal. And yeah. then um, Andrew, actually, um, uh, it was discovered right after he graduated that he had cancer. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was about a two-plus-year fight and battle with cancer, and he ended up passing away in January of 2016. And so Sam's been a part of our church community for a little while, yeah. since really a couple months after that, and uh, has been walking through her tragedy and her story and her grieving process with us, almost in tandem mm -hmm. with Yeah, us. just a couple months after just Amanda a couple passed, months she, after Amanda she started passed. coming to resonate. Absolutely. And what's cool is Sam actually serves now on your team. Yes, she does. She leads our events team. So she's hyper-organized, really energetic, yeah. um, is really good at creating environments where people feel really welcomed and really appreciated. So um, she's definitely a key player on my team. And right. I have loved um, really learning from her as she's walking through um, grief and, yeah. and learning what life after grief looks like, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So it's been really cool to, to walk with her through this journey and um, share a lot of a lot of moments with her and a lot of just heartache with her and also some joy, yeah. you know, and just kind of trying to see and find the purpose in this. And so um, let's not waste any more time because this yeah. is a good interview. It's so good, guys. So good. So um, let's jump in and listen to the interview that I had with Samantha Smith. I am so excited about this interview today. I have my very good friend, Samantha Smith, with me Hello. in the studio. Hi. The studio, also known as <laughs> my kitchen. It smells like chicken pot pie right now. <laughs> and cookies. It's a great, great studio. I, what, you don't record podcasts in not your kitchen? Not typically. Not typically. No. I will from now on, though, for sure. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Sam is just a good friend of our, my, mine. She has been... Um, I guess around my life for some time, even though we didn't know each other. Yeah, apparently. We're connected through family. Mm -hmm. And so my cousin is married to Sam's late husband's brother. Yes. Follow that I one. I think you said that right. Follow that I'm one. I'm not going to try. <laughs> and so the Lord has just providentially connected us together mm -hmm. because our stories are so similar yeah. and yet so different. Right. There's so many different nuances um, about pain in general and how you walk through pain, but what kinds of pain you're right. dealing with. And right. so I wanted to bring Sam on the podcast. Um, so welcome. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks for coming and hanging out with us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Absolutely. I'm excited. Sam, why don't you start and just tell the listener a little bit about your story. Yeah. Uh, tell us the highlights, the lowlights, because it's a, it's a uh, tragic one. It's a um, hope-filled one. And some, in some s s senses, it's a hopeless one. Yeah. And so um, I think God's using it in tremendous ways, and you're still in the middle of it. Yeah, so uh, my husband and I, um, we began dating in high school. Andrew was the star basketball player, um, 6'11", you know, 
huge guy, hard to miss. Which uh, is hilarious because how tall are you? I am five one and a half. Right? I'm five one and a You're half. You're four eleven. Gosh darn it. He was six eleven. Give me those inches here. Um, 6'11", five one and a half. Always good pictures. Uh, prom danced on his knees. You know, we had to get creative wow. for pictures. But uh, wow. yeah, so um, you know, he played basketball there, and you know, caught my eye. And I was the terrible friend that dated the older brother. So mm. Kim, Andrew's younger sister, was my best friend, and that's how we kind of came into each other's lives. Um, but so began our love story in high school. So mm. high school sweethearts, and uh, we dated throughout his time at Butler. So he went on to go to Butler University and played in two national championship games back wow. to back under Brad Stevens. So yeah. those were some of the best years of our lives, just, you know, having fun and yeah. uh, just really built a great community around us then. I remember clearly watching the second one. In, in Texas the, or in Houston. Yeah. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, well, I was in Houston, yeah. but I was yeah. <laughs> in the basement of a friend's house <laughs> watching this. Oh, and and at that point, that I game. knew I knew of you guys. I knew mm-hmm. the, the connection to the family. And I'm okay. like, oh, my gosh, okay. this is like kind of my cousin, cousin kind of, Finn? you know, playing <laughs> yeah. in the national championship yeah. over here. It was oh, awesome. I can't even talk about that game. It hurts my heart too yeah. much. But um, so, yeah, he went on to play under Brad Stevens at Butler and has some really great success there and really put him on the map for kind of in the basketball world. Um, he worked really hard in. Um, and I think that kind of pushed him to uh, be able to have the opportunities with NBA. So he did some workouts and did summer league with OKC. And, you know, wow. so so we got married the weekend after he graduated at Butler, so in 2013. Yeah. Um, and that whole summer, he just spent hopping on planes and doing workouts and just going, you know, working hard. Um, so that first summer, I think, kind of just set... Um, our marriage and the way that we were, you know, tackling it um, kind of in this crazy whirlwind, but certainly one we were excited about. So the plan was to, of course, explore the option of, of an NBA, you know, career for him. Yeah. And, you know, we worked really, he worked really hard, uh, but like so many, you know, that that's a right. hard dream to chase after. Right. So no teams were fitting for us um, or for them. So it became pretty clear that the overseas option was going to be the route that we took. And we figured, you know, that would be kind of what would... Yeah, you kind of have to break your yeah, way into yeah, it through yeah. the bottom. And, and yeah. we were realistic, you know. Right. Um, we knew that the NBA was was uh, going to be tough, but certainly Andrew gave his best go at it and did great. Uh, but we ended up landing in Lithuania. Okay. Um, so he, well, he initially started in China, did about a month there, and then uh, ended up landing in Lithuania, and I joined him there. Um, so packed up our lives, packed up our dog, yeah. and, and flew overseas and um, started this this crazy journey of overseas basketball. So, wow. uh, and that is a crazy world. Yep. It's just insane. Yep. Um, but was such an opportunity. And I'm so glad that we got that, especially, of course, had no idea then, but with how short his life ended up being, um, you know, just that he got to experience those things and became so well-traveled and really was able to pursue that dream. Yeah. So we were overseas in Lithuania, and it was um, around Thanksgiving in 2013 that we initially noticed that one of his lymph nodes had started to to swell up a little bit in his neck. And there are just so many reasons for that to happen. Mm. You know, we thought a virus or, yeah, you know, something something pretty minor. Well, I mean, of course, you're young. Right. You're yeah, this your is, dreams, this is a high, thinking, yeah, this you're is invincible. A, right, You know, exactly. there's no way. Right. He's, he is a high-performance elite athlete. He is a professional athlete. Elite athlete. Mm-hmm. This, his job is to take care of his body, and Absolutely. he took that very seriously. Seriously, did that very well, right. um, and there were there was no history of you know any right. issues on his on his side with his family. So of course there was no initial fear in that it would be something as serious mm-hmm. as it became. But that lymph node continued to swell and it continued to harden and, and protrude and became a very clear issue. Mm-hmm. So uh, we tried our best to uh, communicate with the doctors over there, but 
English as secondary, of course, to everybody and uh, throw in medical terms. Of course, it was just madness. So we eventually ended up doing a scan of his chest and found that there was a sizable tumor behind his lungs. So they sat us down and, and, sh- and shared the news to us and said, you know, you can either treat it here in Lithuania or you can go home and seek, seek treatment right. there. And that was a very easy decision for us. You know, 36 hours, 36 hours later, we were on a plane, you know, uh, flying home right. to O'Hare. So we got into O'Hare and literally drove from O'Hare to his parents' house to drop off our stuff and then went right to the hospital. Um, and that just kind of began our journey. So early January uh, was when he was first diagnosed with T-cell uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't even just cancer. It was this very rare form, right. um, pretty, pretty grim diagnosis. N- we knew it would be a battle. We knew it would be a struggle, um, but there was a chance. And yeah. so that's all Andrew needed to hear. So, uh, you know, we, we worked through the initial shock of, again, th- that we went from a life of, of health and, and this, you know, overseas adventure to all of a sudden we're sitting in a hospital room in Indianapolis, you know, saying, Hey, you're 20, you know, early twenties and you have cancer. So, um, so we, we battled for a couple of years. That first year, um, was just all treatment and, and, you know, that's just ugly, you know, with, right. with chemotherapy, with sickness and deterioration of your body and, and things like that. So that was obviously hard for him to go through and hard for me to watch. Um, you know, just again, having this man that was one way and then just that stark contrast of, of seeing him kind of break down. Um, but was, what was beautiful about Andrew, uh, was that his spirit never broke down. You know, it was, his body was always tired and he was always going through things, but certainly that spirit was always just positive and trusting in the Lord and, um, and always just totally faithful. And that certainly is what drove us through a lot of that treatment and a lot of that sickness. So, yeah. you know, we went through treatment. Um, he went to a stint where he had to go into a medically induced coma, was in a coma for about a week. And, um, so it was, uh, yeah, highs and lows, um, highs. Sometimes, you know, we would get news that, Hey, it's in remission and then, right. you know, lows of, you know, it's back. Right. Uh, so it's just, a, a, the the kind of roller coaster you never want to be on. Yeah. Um, so we went through that and finally thought we got the clear um, in December of 2014, and um, and then we bought a house in mm-hmm. February 2015, thinking like, okay, we're we're starting now, we're starting our lives yeah. and getting going. Um, and then subsequently, and thinking we're beating this thing. Yeah, like, thinking you know, and and with cancer, they'll never use the term right. cure for at least five years. Exactly. But in our minds, truly, we thought, um, you know, even having gone through the back and forth at, at that yeah. time, we really thought like this is done. This chapter is closed in our lives. We have, you know, walked this out as faithfully as we could. And we really felt like we'd, you know, gotten what the Lord needed to teach us out of it and that he had used the story. So in our minds, it was, you know, chapter done, you know, on to the next. So, you know, we we're excited to, to hop into life. Cause again, we're, you know, in our twenties. Yeah, so we're like, all right, let's start our lives together. And we're newly married. Right. You know, again, we're, you know, we had just celebrated, you know, our, our, um, second anniversary, mm-hmm. um, you know, right when he got re-diagnosed. So he got re-diagnosed in May mm-hmm. of 2015. And because he had had so much heavy treatment before then, it became very clear that a bone marrow transplant was our only option left. And we were told initially with treatment options is that a bone marrow option um, is not ideal. And if you were at that, I remember them saying specifically, if you're at that point, then you're in bad shape um, yeah. because it's their last hope. So if this doesn't work, then, you know, they've got nothing left. Right. So they told us that in May. And so again, we knew, all right, we've got another battle ahead. Mm-hmm. And 
And, um, but again, you know, we're going to tackle it. We're going to, you know, face this as faithfully as we can. So, uh, we spent from May until November trying to get him to remission and just the, the best point of his health that we can for this bone marrow transplant. Um, he received that in November and it was, um, a month and a week later that we learned his cancer had transformed to leukemia, a very aggressive form. And then it was just um, another month later that Andrew passed. So he passed on January 12th, 2016, um, very young at age 25. Yeah. So yeah. that's um, that's our journey. So I've, you know, obviously spent the last year and a half uh, working through that and grieving through that. And that's a lifelong process. Right. So, and, you know, again, just like with the sickness, highs and lows through that. Yeah, so, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, I just remember getting a text message from my aunt, probably, I guess it would have been around 2013 when you guys first discovered, is that what mm-hmm. you said, 2013? Yeah. And then getting another, you know, so obviously we're all praying as a family, yeah. we're watching from a distance, and then getting another text message when uh, it looked like he was going into remission. Mm-hmm. And and I remember having that sense of, wow, God, you did a miracle. Yeah. yeah. How cool is this? Even right. though I didn't know you guys, I didn't know the family, just knew of you. Mm-hmm. Was just like, man, what a what an incredible thing, Lord! What a great testimony! Yeah. What a great story! Right. You're going to be glorified through this, and then getting another. I remember I was doing a private hitting lesson. I was coaching mm-hmm. May of 2015 when um, when I got the other text message. Then that um, you guys back. exactly mm-hmm. then come back and just the, I mean, just the roller coaster. I watched the family go through. I just yeah. can't even imagine watching you go through. Yeah. And um, I think it's I think it's easy for. Um, sometimes for us, when it comes to cancer and we look from the outside looking in to think, well, you had some time to prepare yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Talk yeah. to me about that concept yeah. a little bit. Cause I yeah. know you and I have talked about that, mm-hmm. that for you, mm-hmm. you didn't feel like you necessarily right. had time to prepare right. yourself. It was just about as sudden and instantaneous mm-hmm. in some ways mm-hmm. as, as for me. Sure. So talk to me about that journey a little sure. bit. Sure. Um, and that's something I've wrestled with. If that was survival mode, if it was self-protection, self-preservation, as far as um, really grasping the clarity or, or the gravity necessarily of, of what maybe doctors mm-hmm. were saying. But, you know, honestly, Davey, for us, it was just honest faith that we truly did not think that this whole story ended with yeah. just me walking out of that hospital. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, again, his, his faithfulness and the miracles that happened over those two years, you know, demonstrate that to us. The right. fact that there was multiple times where it would go into remission or, you know, when he did go into a medically induced coma because he didn't have a heartbeat for 22 minutes, mm-hmm. he came out of it pretty, un, pretty unscathed. Wow. Um, and so for us, it was just, again, like these, these instances and these moments of, you know, Lord really, you know, he's going to use the story in, in a way of restoration and redemption and, and just this miraculous healing. So honestly, Davey, I truly just didn't, and, and Andrew and I both, we, we really did not see this ending right. with him passing away. Right. Um, and I even think to, you know, that last, you know, month or so, pretty much when it turned to leukemia is when they started using terminology is, you know, terminal. And I remember getting the gut wrenching question of, you know, what, what are the things you need to do or you want to do before you pass? Um, and that just, uh, gutted us because the answer to those questions were all things that they were telling us we didn't have enough time to do. You know, the answer to that was kids and, and, you know, years of celebrating marriage. And, Mm. um, so even in having those conversations, it was like, you know, I hear what you're saying. I just, I just I, can't believe it. I can't yeah. believe it, and I don't mm-hmm. believe it. I, I hear what you're saying, right. doctors, but I, 
I'm excited for you to see the miracle that's about to come. Right. And um, and that was really our mentality. Um, and and I remember, uh, you know, in those last few days, uh, one of the doctors sitting sitting down with me and explaining what kind of what to look for mm. as he was slipping and as he was passing. And I remember um, those days seeing those things mm. and, um, you know, things from his body temperature to his breathing and kind of seeing those things play out and just still thinking like, yeah. you know, but he can do it. Yeah. And I think that's the hard part of faith is knowing he can yeah. um, and that he had before so many times that, uh, you know, again, even seeing the physical evidence of exactly what the doctors were telling me was going to happen mm. in my mind, I was still very much so like, I, I just don't, I, I think right. he's, I think he's going to come through because right. he had so many times before. Absolutely. So yeah, there was certainly uh, even when it, when it, when it happened, um, there was th- still certainly that, um, phase of shock Mm -hmm. because I just couldn't believe it. Um, and I didn't feel prepared and I don't know that you ever do feel prepared, you know, for something like that. Especially, okay. Faith. Think about the concept of faith. It's the confidence in things hoped for Mm -hmm. and, and the evidence of things not seen. seen, Right. right. It's like, okay, even down to the last one, I remember sitting in the hospital with Amanda and like going, God's going to perform a freaking awesome miracle right here. This Mm -hmm. is going to be incredible. Mm -hmm. And so you start now on this side of things, you ask the question like, what do you do when it seems like God didn't come through? Right. And especially so publicly for us. Yeah. Um, so we... So um, you're like, how do you defend God? Exactly. Now? And, <laughs> you know, and, and like, so it, and that was a very difficult part yeah. of grieving this publicly. Um, Internet chronicled our entire journey through a blog, and uh, which which gathered quite a following. And that doesn't speak to my writing. It speaks to how many people cared about mm, Andrew exactly. across the world. So we would you know post an update on how he was doing, and literally hundreds of thousands from people all over the world right. um, would, would read and would check in. And um, so this speaks became a very public deal. So he was already, you know, this public figure with basketball. Right. Um, and then people fell in love with him on the court and then just further fell in love with him as they just saw the tenacity and yeah. grace and humility that he tackled this with. So people just cared so much. Mm. And uh, obviously I understand why, mm. um, but it became very public. And so, you know, I, I still get, or I, I certainly at the beginning would get a lot of, um, mm. you know, we were waiting to see what happened. You know, we were, we were waiting to see kind of how this all played out. Yeah. And, I don't know what to say that. I still don't know what to say that because it's like me too, yeah. you know? Um, in my head, uh, we had set the Lord up for this wonderful miracle. Yeah. You know, we'd set him up to to save thousands. Right. Um, it's like a soft through, toss for him. Right, exactly. Like, right, God, it's a slow pitch. We're going to, here you, you know? go. We're going to like, I have literally we're set glorifying you, up. you right uh-huh, here. 100%. We are telling everybody we're believing exactly, for a miracle. Exactly. So Man. here you go, you know? So let's do it. Yeah. Um, so it, it was extremely difficult to obviously to lose him, but then but then to get all the follow up of yeah. you know, but why didn't he? Yeah, you know, because I'm thinking those same things too. Yeah, and I don't have the answers to yeah, him. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah, it's just a man. It's a it's a frustrating thing because what do you what do you do when you're ser- the, the God that you're serving seems to be disappointing you? Right. You know, right. I see, you see that in the story of John the Baptist, mm-hmm. where he's like in prison going. Wait a minute! I was your like set up to be your right hand guy, yeah, right. Jesus. Like I didn't see this playing out the way that that I thought it was going to play. Right. I didn't see it playing out like this. Right. I mean, come on. Right. And then in the final hour, he's still probably thinking yeah. as the executioners come into his jail cell to to, to retrieve him. 
so that he can be beheaded because of a 12-year-old girl's request, mm-hmm. you know, he's still probably thinking, all right, here's where God's yep. going to do a miracle. Here's where in. God's going to do a miracle. He's mm-hmm. going to step in. This is going to be powerful testimony. Right. And so then, then it becomes a question of like, what do we do now when it seems like God has disappointed us, yeah. when, when and, it seems like God hasn't come And a through. big question for me to kind of go beyond that was, what do I do now that the Lord isn't who I thought he was? Wow. Or, you know, like who I always believed him to be. Right. Um, that was certainly something that I wrestled with just right. all over the place over those two years of having this depiction or this image in my mind of all these experiences I had that had built up this image in my head. And then, right. um, yeah, and then feeling disappointment and not protected yeah. and not um, not trusting in mm-hmm. him because to me it was, you know, you let me down. Yeah. You, you know, I trusted you with everything and look where I'm at now. Yeah, exactly. And, I, and I'm sure you have to have the thoughts of like, Maybe I didn't have enough faith. Yeah. You know? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Because I think sometimes we run into bad teaching that's like, okay, well, if you have enough faith, okay. <laughs> Jesus even said, if you have enough faith, you right. can move mountains. Right. Faith of a mustard right. seed. That's it. Just oh, a small yeah. amount of faith. Oh, yeah. You can move mountains. And mm-hmm. so you're like, okay, well, I'm gonna muster up the mustard seed faith. Yeah. And I'm gonna have just a small amount of faith mm-hmm. here. And like God's gonna God's gonna do this mm-hmm. and then it doesn't happen. It's like did I not have enough faith? Right. And so, uh, you know, obviously one one pretty consistent thing with grief that a lot of people will experience when they've lost someone is guilt. Mm. Um, but for for us, you know, cancer, there's yeah. no, there wasn't necessarily somebody to blame. There wasn't um, anything on my end that I, I really feel like I could do differently. Um, I feel really, you know, good about the decisions we made medically. So, the only thing that I was left with as far as guilt was, did I not pray hard enough? Mm. Did I not have enough faith? Did I not, you know, it, it, it came down to faith for me because yep. it was, you know, it wasn't like somebody came in and stole something from us. It was just, just this, this disease yeah. and there's no, you know, there's no rhyme or reason to it. It just happened. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, that guilt side certainly aired on the side of just faith for me. You yeah. know, did I not proclaim him loudly enough? Did mm. I not speak clearly? Did I not say something right? You know, things like that. So certainly just guilt and or just wondering, did I have yeah. enough faith? Yeah. So I, I remember seeing on Facebook the the news that you, you know, basically said, hey, he's only got a couple... Um, hours left to live, essentially, mm-hmm. calling all the family in. Mm-hmm. And I remember I just got done preaching. No, it was the week before I was get, coming back to preaching. So okay. I just come back from church. Okay. And I see this on Facebook. And right, I'm like two months out of, yeah. you know, yeah, dealing with my Yeah, because your timeline, you are almost two months right, a day. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So it's November for me and January for mm-hmm. you. And and I remember going, like, just my heart absolutely shattering because I knew exactly what you were about to step into mm-hmm. and didn't know you from mm-hmm. Eve <laughs> yeah. And and just and, like and to pause that, I remember reading about Amanda or Jenny reaching out and saying about Amanda and I remember my heart breaking for you thinking like this is my biggest this fear. Might be, this yeah. is my biggest fear and this is what I don't want to step into. Right. Mm-hmm. right. And so I you know, in in grief sometimes and we'll probably talk about this a little bit more, but sometimes you kinda go crazy. Go crazy. Like you kinda have this these moments of what seemed like insanity. Absolutely. And I remember the thought, all I could think of is I wanna go and at least be present for this family because it I know how they feel. I have no idea what I would be able to say to them to mm-hmm. offer them any kind of comfort, but I know how they feel and just maybe being present there. But then the second thought was I wanna go speak to Andrew mm-hmm. because I want to tell him, hey, um, if you slip off into eternity here, will you please go find Amanda? Yeah. yeah. Like just some kind of like, I needed some kind of like connection or portal yeah. Yeah. to heaven yeah. in that moment. Yeah. I was grasping for yeah. it. And so I remember 
you know, calling and can I come up and was planning on coming up and then wasn't able to because, um, you know, just it, it became so fast and yeah. so sudden. Yeah. And um, and it was just it just was heart wrenching to me. And then we got connected mm-hmm. um, because I, I wrote you a letter yeah. and just said, hey, yeah. I, I know how you're feeling, but I also can't understand at all. And I just I just want to say, um, you know, keep leaning into the Lord mm-hmm. and he's got this. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I, and I think at that moment too, I began to watch your bulldog spirit <laughs> and, uh, you'll remember I, I signed yep. that yep. or I, or at least at the end of it yep. or something said, you know, you're a bulldog mm-hmm. and I've, and I've watched the past 18 months, your bulldog spirit. Now that bulldog spirit has gone through a lot of highs and lows. <laughs> so I want you to tell me a little bit about the, the initial aftermath, like mm-hmm. the very beginning as mm-hmm. this thing is settling in, he's now. He's now gone to heaven to be with Jesus. Mm-hmm. You're left without him. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about the difficulties of that. Um, yeah, I mean, certainly just disbelief initially. Um, even thinking back to the day that he passed, you know, that morning um, and, and then into the evening, you know, I laid with him for eight hours mm-hmm. um, just because I couldn't believe it and I refused to accept it. I refused to believe that I was going to walk out of the hospital without him. Um, so just disbelief and, um, but then when it would, when it would hit that, that when that reality would hit, just um, being numb mm-hmm. and, um, and I'm sure, you know, and I, we've kind of talked about this, but that whole um, phantom mentality. So expecting right. them to um, to walk into the door or to hear their voice. Um, so right after he passed, I spent that first month um, at my mom's and um, and it was somewhere that Andrew and I had stayed, you know, pretty frequently. And, yeah. um, and I just remember even just the way that the floor would creak underneath his 611 frame mm-hmm. and, um, and you know, the way that he would have to crawl into the bed because he was, you know, so tall, just always, just, I, I, cause I didn't really leave the bed much. So just remember sitting there, um, just continuously waiting and expecting for this to not be true. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the only times I really had to leave the bed were for things like, you know, funeral home, you know, funeral arrangements and, yeah. and, and then of course his service. Um, so that, that first month was just a lot of me laying in bed and just in between this phase of not believing it and then having that harsh reality hit and then just being like, I just want to go to sleep because I, I don't want to be in this place mm-hmm. of, of feeling it and feeling this reality and feeling his absence. Um, so that was just, that was just a crazy whirlwind. And honestly, honestly, I stayed off of social media a lot because that was a constant reminder, um, because everybody obviously meant well, but it was a constant notification or message of, you know, we miss him, you know, we wish he was here. So, uh, a lot of that initial media, um, outpour, I didn't see because I just couldn't see it. Um, I couldn't. I couldn't hear a news reporter saying, you know, we're reporting the death of, of Butler mm. basketball star Andrew Smith. I couldn't, right. I couldn't hear, you know, his his former coaches and teammates, you know, weep and cry about it. I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. Um, and there are certainly still times where I just can't deal with it. Mm. I can't, I just can't see it. I can't, um, can't quite handle it. And so that was something I certainly wrestled with then, and and still do sometimes. Um, yeah. Obviously, a, a little bit more growth since then, and I can, you know. I can stomach it a little bit more, but a lot of disbelief, a lot of just um, feelings of numbness and um, and uh, certainly refusing to accept the reality. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so you were in a lot of that, you know, they talk about the stages of grief. Yeah. And although they're not linear, right. you definitely... That initial, ex- that initial, the initial one, one is does pretty, seem yeah. pretty spot on. Yeah. The denial stage where uh-huh. you're like, 
I can't believe this is true. Right. This isn't true. Mm-hmm. There's no way. Mm-hmm. Which and, is just, again, funny to speak to. I mean, like you were just asking about, you know, did you feel prepared? Yeah. Um, even thinking that we battled this for two years, yeah. it was still You've very much You've kind of been living so, in denial for two years yeah. in some ways. In, in you some would think ways, that you'd be past that In some that ways, yeah. yeah so, and so it was a kind of a whole new thing to be in denial about. Right. Um, and obviously a heavier thing and a thing right. that I, I couldn't refute. I couldn't. And the thing with this, with denying this, was that there was no way for my mind to shift and to wrap itself around another option. Mm. You know, with, with his sickness, it was, well, we can maybe try this treatment or maybe he'll get on a trial, a clinical trial, mm. you know. There was always in my mind something else we can be doing or a way that we can pray through this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was faced with a, there is nothing else here. Yeah. You know, there is nothing for you to, you know, to muster up in your mind to make mm-hmm. this not your reality anymore. Yeah. So, you know, like one of the things we want to, we try to help people with on this podcast, they're going through all different stages of their pain, yeah. whatever it looks like, but it's the live, learn and lead through pain. Mm-hmm. Right. So the yep. first stage you're trying to just figure out how to live. Right. Honestly, like how to get out of bed. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and explain that to me. So even like sometimes you'd get out of bed and it's like you're just numb yeah. through the whole thing. Yeah. Walk, so walk through that. Yeah. I, I mean, even even if you just take it back to the fact that Andrew and I are high school sweethearts, that we grew up as as kids and then into, into adulthood together, my entire life um, be, was very much so wrapped with and and in Andrew and his career in basketball. Mm-hmm. So in high school, it was being you know a cheerleader for him, and then in 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 college, it was of course you know still being his biggest cheerleader on the sidelines and cheering him on and, and encouraging his heart. And then, of course, we moved overseas. So I literally right. you know, quit my job, right. packed up our lives. So it was just all in on Andrew. And I say that with just no you know, yeah, remorse no, and you know, resentment whatsoever. That's what I wanted. That's honestly what you I felt, felt like. Called to do. I felt called to do. I was right. like, I feel like I'm truly put on the surface to be Andrew's wife, mm. to support him and encourage him and just to love him through this crazy journey. Mm. So we moved overseas. My life became about supporting him. And then we came home and he was sick and it was being his caregiver. Yeah, and wow. so for two years, it was just, I mean, not, I mean, two years of caregiving, but literally every, everything about my life had to do with Andrew. So yeah. when he passed, there was nothing to resume. There's no purpose there. There yeah, was nothing. Like, or at least felt like yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. There, there was just nothing. And there wasn't even something I could be like, well, I used to do this before Andrew because I was, you know, 14, 15. 14 years old. Yeah. yeah. When, before Andrew. Yeah. So it's just like, A, don't want to go back to, you know, that awkward, right. you know, weird. Yeah, we don't, don't want to be 14 again. 14, that again. That sounds terrible. Absolutely. But then just, you're not the same person and life yeah. is totally different. All of a sudden I'm an adult without, you know, my best friend that I've you know, grew up with. Right. So th- that was certainly a struggle of just feeling like I couldn't even put one foot in front of another because it was just like, where am I even going? Yeah. You know, what am I walking towards? Yeah. Because everything that I had walked alongside and towards was was gone all of a sudden. Right. So yeah, certainly just, you know, not feeling a sense of purpose, mm. um, just hopeless and just, um, you know, feeling like I, I just don't know where to go from mm. here because everything that I had, you know, anchored my life on and had planned my life around yeah. is suddenly is suddenly gone and, and not coming back. Yeah. So you have lost in some ways you've lost your purpose mm-hmm. and your identity. Yeah. In a lot yeah. of ways. Yeah. It's it's way more than just losing your best friend, your spouse. Mm-hmm. It's way more than losing even even some bigger things, memories, hopes and dreams. It's like now like my entire mm-hmm. what felt like my calling. Yes. My 100%. purpose. Well it's it's lost. So yeah. So in those first few months, what did you do? So as you're, as you're wrestling through this, because you're wrestling through this, yeah. and there were times you did stay in bed. I'm Absolutely. sure because there were times I stayed in bed. Absolutely. But there were times you got out of bed. Yeah. So what did you do? What was, uh, the, 
what were some defining things for you in those first couple months? It was like, okay, I'm going to do this and just yeah. try to start discovering this purpose. Yeah, I think, well, legitimately the first month, aside from his funeral arrangements and services, I did not get out of bed. Mm-hmm. Um, I legitimately did not get out of bed. Yeah. I, um, my mom would come and try to force me to eat and I would take sleeping pills to go to sleep because mm-hmm. I couldn't sleep otherwise. So that first month I legitimately did not leave the bed. Um, and then after that, uh, it just, not that something hit me, but just a matter of, you know, knowing that you can't do this forever. Yeah. I can't just, I, do I want to stay in bed forever? Yes. But you just can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, it became, um, a slow process of talking to people again, you know, and that, and not even like people, but my family, you know, yeah. um, and, um, getting out of the house. I remember the first um, the first time I went out. My, I remember my eyes like even feeling like they needed to adjust because they just hadn't been outside inside, yeah. it for so long. Wow. Um, and I felt like that even was just this like tangible metaphor. You know, metaphor for yeah, just like I I didn't my I couldn't handle it. Like right. my it was just like over like just overload of sensory yeah overstimulation yeah. of of senses and everything. So it was just an adjustment. So um, and then you know I would try and read, but of course you know it's just like your mind is so fuzzy brain. Mm-hmm. And I think that was ultimately the frustrating thing about those first few months is even in, in things I would try to do like read or you know mindlessly watch a TV show yeah. or take the dogs out on a walk. It was your mind is so fuzzy brain mm-hmm. from grief. Um, and then I would just get frustrated. And then that of course would send me in the spiral of like, well let's just stay in bed because right. nothing else is going well. Right. Um, so yeah, just this this constant wrestle of wanting to stay in bed and then sometimes not, but then getting frustrated with that. And then even if I would try and actively participate in a conversation, I wasn't really there. You know, I was, my mind still very much so was in bed. I still very much so was sleeping on the pillow. You know, Mm -hmm. I might've been present and I can't, you know, and my family has, you know, since then spoken to me about just how, even just physically I looked just like they could just tell, you know, I just wasn't there. Um, and so, yeah, it it was just a very difficult transition of trying to find this new normal, this new normal that I didn't want. Right. Exactly. You're physically present everywhere you go. Mm -hmm. You're not relationally present. You're not mentally present. You're not socially present. Like you're just numb numb and existing. And honestly, just like, and it sounds really dramatic, but like, it's just the most accurate thing that I can, I can really describe it as is just totally dead inside. Um, I just didn't care about anything. You know, I didn't feel passionate about anything. Um, just completely numb, completely, like you said, like I'll sit there, but I don't feel anything, you know? Wow. Can you point to any, anything specifically or some things that began to start, um, jolting you out of that or moving you into a, a new season or anything that any markers in those first couple months for you that made you go, wait, okay, I'm going to, there's okay. Because I think that the tendency is, and we can talk about this a little bit if you want as well, but the tendency in those moments mm-hmm. and in those seasons is to think that what I'm experiencing now mm-hmm. will forever be what I'm feeling and 100%. experiencing. Mm-hmm. It's that like idea of permanence. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so, did you feel that? And then there were any, were there any things, any markers that made you go, maybe, maybe that's not true. Yeah. Maybe there is going to be some hope in this. Sure. I am certainly, I wrestled with and still wrestle with permanency. Um, feeling like, am I going to feel like this forever? Because mm. even if um, I'll come out of a season, I feel like I'm circling back to it, you know, a few months later. Right. So then it's like a, gosh, like, is this ever going to end? Yeah. And obviously in the beginning, there's that overwhelming sense of, I mean, at the time I was 
24 when he passed. So it was just, I have in theory so much life to live without him. Um, and so is it, it, are the rest of my days going to feel like this and how would they not, you know, because I've, you know, what have I, you know, think about, you know, what we've lost. And so how, how does my life not look like this? How do I not feel this way? Um, so, and, and of course that just, sending spirals into, you know, feeling overwhelmed and depressed and um, all those emotions. So certainly uh, struggled with and still struggle with, um, you know, that whole permanency and how that Mm -hmm. just affects everything forever, you know, that whole thing. Certainly one of, I think, the markers that that I I worked through that um, kind of set the tone for how I wanted to handle this whole journey with mm-hmm. grief was what to do with our house. Um, so again, we bought this mm-hmm. house, uh, you know, shortly after we thought that he had beaten his cancer and we, you know, it's an old house in Irvington built in the thirties. So mm-hmm. we put a lot of love into it, right. a lot of good memories, you know, wrapped up into this house and, and we loved our house. Um, and, but what hurt most about that house was, um, not the memories that were in it, but the memories that were not ever going to be able to be made. Um, so just sitting, even just, I remember sitting in the living room and I'll still do this and feeling like I'm never gonna you know, have kids run across this floor mm-hmm. and I'm never going to hear, you know, or we're never going to have to yell upstairs to the kid's bedroom, tell them to go to sleep. You mm-hmm. know, all these things that we had so very much so counted on happening. Um, that's what hurt more than anything was just, you know, all these things that we're never going to get yeah. to be. So and dealing with the house was, was a big thing for me. I remember again, that first month I stayed with my mom at her house and then it was a matter of, okay, what are we going to do with this? So mm-hmm. I knew I didn't want to do anything major with it as far as selling it or even deciding to stay in that first year. But I remember, um, you know, deciding to go back to the house mm-hmm. a month after he passed and, um, everybody of course has their opinions on what yeah, to do with right, things. Right. Um, and they tell you your opinion. And they will opinions. tell you their opinions Absolutely. like it's fact. Absolutely. Um, and so everybody, pretty much though across the board told me like you can't stay there you can't be there I think I even told you that I think you did you might <laughs> are you, you right now been. across the table resentful this is toward me being me. passive aggressive passive aggressive like, podcast everyone, everyone has their opinions Davey including Blackburn. you Davey <laughs> <laughs> no but everybody yeah did tell me like you yeah. can't you can't live there um, but kind of you know you spoke to this idea of a bulldog spirit in my head it was like nope while this band-aid's off we're just going to do it. Yeah. You know, I'm not looking to scab over and then rip it off a year later. Yeah. So for me, maybe it wasn't the most healthy thing to do. There are certainly times where I look back and be right. like, Sam, that probably wasn't a good choice. Or maybe you should have like gone and stayed somewhere else for a few weeks. Mm. So in hindsight, yeah, I can see that there were times where it's like, that might not have been healthy, but certainly going back and then just being like, all right, you're here and you're going to do it. And mm. you're going to push through those hard days. It's going to be hard. You're going to cry a lot. Um, but you're going to, you're going to do this. Right. Um, so that was a big marker for me was just being like, all right, you're in it. Mm-hmm. You know, this is your situation. This is your circumstance. Um, and again, it's going to be hard, but you're going to live through it and you're going to, you're going to, you're going to get up and you're going to walk down those stairs that creek, but not in the same way, you know, right, or right. you're going to, you know, go into the kitchen and not see Andrew making breakfast. You're going to sit on the couch and that doesn't, you know, isn't filled with his huge frame anymore, right. you know? So just making that um, very intentional choice of, all right, this is going to suck, but you're going to do it. But we're going to run yep, towards this We're going to run towards yeah. this war. And then it brings up an interesting little tangent because everyone grieves differently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And everyone, and, it's okay. and that's okay. It's okay. And, and, and I think it's, it's detrimental sometimes mm-hmm. to impose to your right opinions, impose uh-huh. your journey, your uh-huh. experience onto somebody else, because mm-hmm. your grief is not like that. Nope, other not person. Well, I mean, you and I haven't even talked about, right. even though like 
our so our timelines are very similar in the fact right. that you know we lost a spouse a spouse, even though in different ways, um, you know, we have walked through some of the very same things, right. but very much so different things. Absolutely. And how you walk through it and how I walk through it is totally different, totally but that's different. completely fine. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's like everybody has to have their own, mm-hmm. their own uh, experience and journey with this. And I think it's, I think it's difficult. Um, I, I think, I think there's just a little small uh, adjustment that sometimes people need to make instead of like offer an opinion offer counsel and help, mm-hmm. but, but also offer freedom hundred for people. It's like, and Hey, I know this grace. freedom mm-hmm. and grace. Yep. Grace is such a big deal, such a big deal. through for processes others like this. and for yourself. Yes, 100%. absolutely. That's, mm-hmm. that's really interesting. So talk to me about that idea of grace for yourself, mm-hmm. because that's something we've talked about yeah. a little bit because you're uh, a performer in the sense that you're a perfectionist yep. and you want to like yep. accomplish and perform properly and yep. you're competitive. Yep. We just do CrossFit. Little, just a little. Right. And I know, I know your competitive spirit. I know the bulldog certainly, spirit. I've certainly gotten mad at you a few times. Right. So but fine. you but you're having to in some ways discover that you have to show grace to yeah. yourself in that. Mm-hmm. Talk about that concept a little bit. Sure. And that and I remember that is something that was probably one of the biggest struggles just because it is not my default setting. Mm-hmm. Um, giving grace to myself is not my default setting. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that like in this you know, unhealthy way necessarily, but just the fact that, yeah, I am a perfectionist. So yeah. there's not a lot of grace in perfection, you know, and this, this idea of perfection, I guess I should right. say. So yeah, in, in, in years past or in dealing with anything else, it was just this standard and idea of just doing the best you can. And that best should look as, you know, right. close to perfection as you can. Right. Um, but goodness gracious with grief, it is messy. It is chaotic. It is, atrocious. It is just ugly. Mm. And I hated that. I hated that suddenly my life looked like everything I had fought so hard to make it not feel like and look like. Um, So yeah, there, again, there's even a twofold of certainly feeling those ways, but then like knowing that publicly this, I don't look put together, you know, like everybody knows. Everyone sees what's going on. Everyone sees my mess. Everyone sees my mess. And it's like, there's no hiding that. Absolutely. Um, And so it was certainly a struggle to learn to extend grace upon myself Mm. of just being like, you know what? It's okay if today you don't get out of bed, but you can't pitch a tent there, you know? So I think that was my biggest thing was, you know, feel those things because I, that's how I dealt as, as far as what I felt was healthy was just dealing with those things head on, um, and really embracing, Mm. embracing those, those hard emotions, those hard days. But then just, again, my whole thing was like, you can't pitch tent there. That doesn't mean you can live there, you know, like feel it, let it come, let it go but you just can't, you can't stay there. My counselor says, weep without wallowing. Yeah. Gosh, how do you do that? Give right? yourself <laughs> the freedom and the grace to weep. Yep. But then. But don't wallow. Yep. Because there's a difference. Yes, there is. And, and I think sometimes when it comes to giving yourself grace, you're, you go, okay, I should be further along in this too. Yep. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. hey, I thought I've already dealt with this. Yep. I thought I've already, you know, and there's, there's just this, there's this, this, um, this timeline of grief that we want to be able to project yeah. and we want yeah. it to be neat and clean and we want it to be the stages of grief, right. the way they're laid right. out, but they're just not. They're just not. And I, so for me, and I don't know about for you, but I think, and in my head, it was like a year. Yeah. So, and I think that maybe that came back to this whole, everybody telling me like, don't make any big decisions in right. a year, which I certainly stand behind. And right. I, I, I do, for me, that's what worked was not making big decisions in that first year. But I remember January 13th hit and I was just like, okay, mm. 
Like, should we, all of a sudden there was this self-inflicted pressure of, okay, you've had your year now. Yeah. Um, what's the direction? What are we doing? You know, right. what's, what's next? You know, what, what can we be doing to move forward? And that was all self-inflicted. So then became this other struggle with grace of um, sometimes feeling like uh, maybe I have sat in that a little too long as far mm. as giving myself grace. So, you know, if I'm tempted to make a bad choice or mm. to go things about things in a way that I know probably isn't the right way, um, certainly, it's like, certainly this idea of like, eh, but look what you've been through. Yeah. You know, certainly okay, talk about that. Let's, let's, let's yeah. camp here for a little bit because <laughs> let's pitch a tent here. Very, let's about, pitch a tent. Yeah, we're not going to wallow. Here. We're not going to wallow, but we're going to pitch a tent. Because that's a very real feeling. Yeah. This temptation mm. that can come sometimes with grief, or trial, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, whatever you want to name it, yep. it's pain. It's so it's this temptation because essentially it's rooted in this idea of like, well, look what I've gone through. Mm-hmm. I deserve yep. to X. Yep. Talk They're about that a little bit. A hundred percent. There, um, and I don't love this. It is you know something that I just think is so nasty about myself, but there is this sense of entitlement. Mm, yeah. This idea of, because I mean, Davey, Andrew and I, and I'm not saying we were perfect. Right. No, not at all. Right. But we pursued the Lord yeah. um, in the most faithful way we knew how, yeah. even thinking back to our courtship. You know, everything yeah. was how we were taught and what we believed was, um, you know, the way of doing things that the Lord would bless. And the thing is, is that the Lord did bless us, you know, and and that's something I need to remember is that we had a beautiful marriage. And I think that's because of, you know, the way that we went about doing things. Um, But certainly this idea of, okay, so, you know, if I'm sitting here having a conversation with God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you and God are having and, you know, a cup of coffee. Yeah, we're having Nobody a cup of coffee and my, my arms are crossed. God's you know. reputation is on the line right, right now. Yeah, listen we're like, up. We're, so I'm like, we're going yeah, toe-to-toe. Come going on. toe-to-toe with the Lord, you know, being Job here. Yep, here but, it is. But, uh, all right, Lord, listen. So Andrew and I did X, Y, and Z, and we did exactly how you asked. Mm-hmm. We even walked through this hard journey that, you know, that that we were asked to, yeah. and we did it as well as we could. We pointed to you every step of the way, very publicly. Like, yeah. we did everything we could. And look at my life now. I am a widow at, you know, now 26. Mm-hmm. So tell me how that's fair. Mm-hmm. Tell me how doing things your way has given me this life of abundance wow. because it doesn't feel like a life of abundance. It wow. feels like the total opposite of that. So now, you know, I certainly wrestle with this. Okay, so that didn't work out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there there is certainly that temptation to be like, all right, well, then let's do it a different way. Well, yeah. Because if we're going to be authentic, we're going to be transparent. Yep. Okay, well, screw it. Yep, a hundred percent. You know. Yep. Let's let's go this way. Let's yep. go a different. Let's mm-hmm. go. Let's do things my way because exactly. I, I did things your way, God. And look where it and got me. You didn't yeah. come through. Right. And even and yeah. even you know taking it a step further in my head, it's like okay, let's say I do things my way. And even because I do know truth, right. um, I know that it might not end up the best way. It's like, A, part of me feels like it's not so well, going to hurt. It's this. not going to hurt any worse than that. Yeah. Um, and B, if it does, it does. Man. You know, it just does. Wow. Because it, again, it can't be any worse. So that, those are certainly things that I wrestle with, that sense of entitlement, because I felt like we did things the right way and then not seeing... Um, not seeing, you know, there are certainly, I've seen blessings come from, you know, our journey and our story and everything. But as far as just, you know, getting real in real life and, you know, day to day, just again, not feeling like we were, we were given what I thought we were right. owed, which is silly because everything is, is from him anyway. But, you know, I don't know. But you don't feel that in the moment. No. And you can, you can, like, if, if you were, if someone were to come to you and say, okay, make your wish list of blessings, <laughs> this is certainly not even on the list. Yeah. Let alone near the top. Right. And so the the challenge is finding the blessing mm-hmm. in it. Yeah. And um, it's interesting you missed you you mentioned Job. 
where you've got this guy who Satan comes to and or comes to God and says, "Hey, you've blessed Job. Mm-hmm. Like he is wealthy, he has favor, he has influence, he has um, uh, he has authority, and he has mm-hmm. a great family. He has a lot of blessing, and 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 God's going, yeah, like yeah, look at this guy. They he is." He is um, making God saying he is making the name of God famous. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, he, and and Satan goes, yeah. Well, that's because he has all this. Yep. So let me, yeah, let me have my way with him. And God gives him a leash to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, which even that can cause me to go, what? Right. God? Like, like why, hold on a second. why would you do that? Right. Right. Yeah, that the, doesn't the, seem the, fair. The little sliver of of hope that I have in that is that Satan's still on God's leash. So true. You know. So true. He that still has to ask for, for he permission. He still has to ask for mm-hmm. permission. You know. And Jesus even said it to Peter, where he said, "Satan's asked me to sift yeah. you yeah. like wheat." You know. And so there's this like author- the ultimate authority and control is with God. And so then. Satan puts Job through literal hell on earth, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't take his spouse from him, but geez, his spouse was this nagging right. woman that basically told him, hey, curse God and die. Right. And for all these chapters of Job, right? I'm actually in my, in my quiet time right now in Job. Are you? All these chapters, it's just this incessant friend saying, you must have done something yep. wrong. You must yep. have done something you, wrong. Yeah, this has to be on you. Job going like, trying to justify himself. Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. I didn't do anything uh-huh. wrong, but... I'm mad at God, and God just listens. Mm-hmm. Takes it. He just takes, like a punching bag. Yep. He just, and I think, I think this is over the past year and a half for me, one of those things that has helped me is like open my eyes up to a new character of God because mm-hmm. sometimes I think I, I would like question or, or doubt God, and, and it's like, you know, he couldn't take it. Yeah. You know, it's like, he's not intimidated by my right. questions. He actually welcomes mm-hmm. them. And he yeah. just sits there and takes it. Yep. You know, like Jesus on the cross, mm-hmm. just taking it, mm-hmm. you know, he just takes it from us. Mm-hmm. And so I think in the timeline of grief for us, we've experienced this like grace period, this mm-hmm. like, I'm, hey, come on, mm-hmm. God, like, what are you doing? What's mm-hmm. going on with this? Throwing our punches. Sometimes even outwardly still going like, God is good. God yeah. is good. He gives and takes away, yep. you know, this yeah. kind of deal, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But inside we're like, what are you doing, yeah, God? Right? Come on, 100%. you know, we're just throwing our punches. And then at some point in the book of Job, mm-hmm. he goes, hey, Job, dress yourself like a man. Yep. Put on your jock strap. Mm-hmm. Knock it off. And let's go. Let's yep. go. You want to talk about this? Mm-hmm. I hung the stars in the heaven. Mm-hmm. I hung the moon in the mm-hmm. heavens. I created all of this, created you two, and gave you everything. Where were you when I did yeah. all this? Who are you? Right? Who are you to, yep. who are you to like question? Right. But God doesn't do that in an angry way. He just does it in a perspective-shifting uh-huh. way. Like, uh-huh. remember this. And then I think what's powerful is that he, it says at the end of the book of Job that God blessed Job's life more in the latter half than he did the first half. Yeah. <laughs> Which is right now sitting here, yeah. both you and me, we go, okay, how? Right. How can that even be possible? Right. How can that be possible? And how can you even remotely begin to, to tell me that my life would be any more beautiful yeah. without Andrew or, you know, for you without Amanda? Right. You know, how, how would that ever be any better than having my spouse. Right. Um, that's, yeah, certainly something I wrestle with is, is how are you going to do that? And, and how are you going to do that? Yeah. You know? How are you going to do what that? What would that even look like? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk a little bit about that, okay. but we're all out of time. <laughs> so we're going to pick back up with the second part of this interview later this month. Cool. And so you guys join us okay. for part two. Wow, that was 
so yeah. good. Yeah, it really was. It really was. Anything that you picked up on that? Yeah, man, I was taking notes the whole time, if yeah. I'm honest, <laughs> listening to you guys even sit too. here in the kitchen, right? Yeah. I'm over there in the corner writing a bunch of notes, but I think this is really where you guys left off. Um, but the idea that like God is not intimidated by our questions yeah. um, and that he's a perspective shaper. So we Ooh. can present all these things to him, um, even our, our frustrations or our concerns, and he's not intimidated by that. Wow. Um, he can't like not listen to that, right? Wow. He hears our prayers. Um, and in that will like change our perspective and give us opportunity to, to understand more about his character. Yeah. And that's so good. I've, you know, oftentimes we go to the Lord because we want results. Yeah. We're like, Hey, I want results. I'm like asking for this. I'm begging for this. I'm pleading for this. And that's not necessarily God's goal for prayer for mm-hmm. us. God's goal is relationship. Yeah. And so he loves us just coming to him, even with frustrations, questions, doubts, as long as we're taking it to him. Right. Because therein lies the relationship. Yeah. It's just really cool. Really That's cool. Really, I can't really wait really for cool. the part part two of this. I know. I be, can't wait. As we kind of like resolve a little bit, I feel like we left it really open-ended. Mm-hmm. And so I'm excited to hear how Sam's um, fi- finding her fight. Yeah, like continuing the journey. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, if you guys loved this podcast, if you got a lot from it, if you guys were like us and scribbling notes, like smoke coming out of your notebook, <laughs> um, we would love for you guys to rate and review this. Um, this podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Um, and so we've already seen a lot of those rates and reviews come up. We yeah. love seeing those. It's really fun to see um, what you guys are getting from this podcast. Right. Um, so continue to, to send those out to us um, and like share it with your friends. So the yeah. more you rate review it, share it with people, um, the more this is available and accessible to other people. Um, Mm. And that's the goal of this podcast is that we can just provide hope um, through through your headphones, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then also, if you guys have questions that you like specifically want us to answer here on this podcast, um, we would love to hear from you. Um, You can send an email to hello at resonateindy.com. And we would love to talk about those questions here. Yeah. And we want to give a big shout out to our good friend, Ryan O'Neill, who's known as his artist handle is Sleeping at Last, mm. who provided all the music for this it's podcast. So, good. so if you like the music, you need to go listen to Sleeping at Last. He does a lot of stuff for Grey's Anatomy, the Twilight films. Yeah. I mean, he is awesome. And a good friend of ours, he's just been so good to us. So go listen to Sleeping at Last. It's incredible. And before we sign off, why don't you listen to this teaser from part two of my interview with Samantha Smith? I remember uh, just struggling with watching Andrew wrestle with, I mean, because, you know, you lose and you have to do all the media right. and everybody's asking how you feel. And it's like, well, of course I feel terrible. Right. But um, so I remember even getting a little bit nervous of being like, well, gosh, how do I, you know, as his girlfriend at the time, how do I come alongside him in uh, this? Like, what yeah. do I even say? Support and respond. Yeah, how do and- I support you in this? Um, and I remember he, he came home um, specifically after the Duke game. And I remember him walking in the door um, of his house and all of us, you know, his family, we obviously waited up for him and everything because it was in Indy that year. Yeah. Um, so he came home and we just said, you know, or his, his cousin Andrew or his cousin Scott said, Andrew, what do you want to do? Like, do you want to mm. play video games? What do you want to do? He's like, I want to go play basketball. Mm. So we got a little crew together of, of, you know, him and myself and then his cousins and siblings. And we all drove down to Zionsville Park at like one in the morning huh. and there were no lights on the basketball courts. And 
we just played. Wow. We just played basketball. And it was just crazy to see the, the difference in demeanor of Andrew of walking through those doors, just heavy and having lost everything he had worked for. Wow. Um, and then seeing him back on the basketball court, you know, totally at that point, um, from, you know, reminded of what really mattered, mm. of, of finding joy in the game again mm. and finding joy in being with friends and family um, and recognizing that that was what was important and that, um, you know, that it was all going to be okay. Okay.